I want to introduce everyone to our guest, Bill Alden. I met Bill through our mutual friend, Gary Morris. And why don't you tell everybody what you do and a little bit about your background. When, when Gary told me that I needed to call the DEA, I was a little bit frightened about that. <laughs> <laughs> right. So explain, right. To, explain to our listeners what the DEA is, if anybody doesn't know, and, and how you interface with them now. Okay, uh, Pam, I'm delighted. Uh, I'm delighted that we finally got to talk with each other today. Uh, the, the Drug Enforcement Administration, uh, of which I spent nearly 30 years as a DEA special agent, um, and I retired in, in the early to mid-90s from DEA, and in 2001, uh, a couple of us former DEA agents got together and we decided to uh, begin a foundation <laughs> that ultimately became, there's been several, there's been a few name changes because it didn't start as the DEA Educational Foundation. It started as something else, but eventually morphed into the DEA Educational Foundation in the early, early to mid-2000s. And uh, uh, we partnered with, with the Drug Enforcement Administration to, uh, to bring programmings, uh, uh, particularly after-school programming, mm -hmm. to, uh, to at-risk kids uh, across the United States by having various programs. The, 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 the one that is our anchor program at the Drug Enforcement Educational Foundation is the uh, DEA Educational Foundation After School Youth Dance Program, where we utilize professional dance instructors in communities across the United States to uh, work with kids after school, uh, usually at the, on the campus of the, of, of the school where the kids uh, go each day, to, uh, to, to instruct them on the healthy and interesting and fun art of dance. And that's our way of, of uh, teaching kids to make healthy choices. It's all about making healthy choices, we feel. And, and some it, of these kids, some of these kids are come from bad homes or some of these kids are just bored and they kind of stumble into gangs or they stumble into drug use. And you're giving them other options for uh, to learn culture and art and sports and all kinds of things. And, and I think it's like a best kept secret. That's that's why we're so excited to be involved is to try to get the word out. And you're in 50 different cities now, aren't you, Bill? Yeah. Yeah. We have the dance program in 50 cities. We have a really healthy partnership with the Drug Enforcement Administration, and they have several programs across the United States in the various field divisions where the agents work, where they provide programming to various communities. And they call upon us to help them design and implement programmings in the various cities. Mm -hmm. so, so we're very excited uh, about uh, our after-school programming. Besides the dance program, we have recently initiated a couple of new after-school programs uh, because over time, we felt as if we had developed an expertise in after-school programming. We know how to, how to work with the schools. 
We have credibility with the schools, with the various school districts, superintendents and principals where we work. And we understand the community and the needs of the community and particularly the kids. And so we thought it would be beneficial to begin other programming, inserting um, the, a martial arts instructor for a mm -hmm. dance instructor, uh, a baseball instructor for, for, for the dance instructor, a, a soccer uh, coach uh, and, and somebody to train in soccer for, uh, for the dance instructor and so forth. So we've begun several different after-school programs that, that meet the needs of a particular community. Uh, and uh, it was, we begun, we actually began the process when one of our board members suggested to us that maybe we could be as effective delivering other programming like martial arts to interested uh, students by substituting a martial arts instructor for the dance instructor. Mm -hmm. And that, that's how we began uh, really orchestrating and developing our other after-school programming. Uh, we're in the early stages of doing that. Uh, we're in about seven cities with our after-school baseball program. Uh, we're in uh, several cities with our soccer program. We have a new science program that we've devised uh, that keeps the kids interested. And we just implemented that in Washington, DC with the Washington field division of DEA. And so we're, 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 uh, uh, interested in tailor making whatever will work in a particular community, particularly mm -hmm. for after school kids at a time when kids are most vulnerable, unfortunately. Now, Bill, what I think is really amazing is that this wonderful program continued even during COVID. You guys were very resourceful, not just with your programming, but also with your fundraising. Exactly. Uh, a decision, we, we made a decision that we would continue with programming uh, by hook or by crook, basically, uh, during uh, the, the, the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And so we've worked with several different school districts and principals and superintendents. If they have the capabilities, we do an online uh, instruction rather than an in-person instruction. Sometimes it's a hybrid instruction where it's online part of the time and part of the time it's, it's uh, actually in-person depending upon the situation. So we've, we've had to become extremely flexible it's taken an awful lot of work to continue doing this, but we've also, uh, in order to support the programming that we decided to continue doing, we've also, uh, as you know, Pam, done a couple of media online. Virtual. Yeah, virtual events. Vir virtual. Really. I, I, you know, I, I lost the word for a minute. Virtual no, events. No, it's all good. Mm -hmm. Virtual fundraising events. And that's where uh, my relationship with Gary Morris has really paid dividends. And with you also, because the first one we did was uh, last October, and we did it uh, in Nashville and uh, uh, using the country music as a theme, basically. And then we did one just recently on Broadway using uh, Gary's past experience on Broadway when he played Jean Valjean in uh, the lead in La Boheme. Mm -hmm. uh, With to, Linda uh, Yeah, right, to, uh, to uh, uh, 
raise some funds. So we, not only have <laughs> we been able to raise funds virtually, but we've expanded our network, which is really, really important for us. Uh, the, the question that always comes up within our board meetings about our size and about how much do we really want to grow? How big do we want to become? And there, there's a, I think there's a really, really fine balance between successful programming and size. Mm-hmm. So we've been careful not to, not to outrun our capabilities. And right. And you are, you're lean and mean. You are not overly bureaucratic at all. And a very active board from really all over the country. You're based in Florida. And then you've got people in California. And I mean, I'm just always amazed at how active you have all been and, and how cooperative and how passionate your board is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the reason we've been around for 20 years, Pam, is because yeah. uh, of we, we've, we've made a decision to do it smartly to keep expenses down and to keep our staff down. We have very few staff members. We have a very active and supportive board of directors. Uh, Luckily, uh, we have some uh, uh, financially sound board of directors who have been extremely supportive of our programming and our success. And uh, uh, we're very, 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 very pleased to continue. And just so that people know, the, uh, the listeners know, uh, how Bill got involved with Gary is Gary was um, one of, was tapped as talent. Gary cares a great deal about helping kids and has never been involved with kids with, um, <clears throat> excuse me, has never been in dr- uh, involved with drugs himself, but have seen ga- drugs really affect his own life. As a matter of fact, he was not number one to be tapped to play in Les Mis. But the gentleman who was hired to play Les Mis, uh, uh, John Valjean, had drug issues. And that's how Gary got the part. So being in the music industry for so long, he's seen drugs destroy people's lives and really hamper their careers. And he's really passionate about it. And Gary would perform at dinners uh, over the years and uh, various events. And so uh, Gary called me one day and he said, you need to call Bill. And we need to do something virtually. So we started putting our heads together. And, and this is how the relationship started. And the first was very successful. It was mm-hmm. Gary and Devin O'Day were the two hosts. And then we've got a lot of virtual performances. And the first people that tapped on uh, along with Gary were the Oak Ridge Boys. And we had uh, Tim Rushlow and we had Manny Barnett and just a wonderful group of people. And we made some money, which was really exciting. And I think everybody was so excited to perform (laughs) and to get their faces out there. And then when we did the Broadway show, we had the Broadway actors. Of course, Broadway still is not uh, open yet. It will be opening hopefully very soon. But they said, you know, this is the first time that they were getting exposure in Broadway world and some media attention in over a year. And so they were thrilled to death to be involved. And we had dancers and actors and singers and uh, just it was just a really, really wonderful. Let me ask you a question. Uh, uh, do you have programs during the summertime? Uh, yes, we do have. We do have summer programming. Uh, uh, we have various camps that we sponsor. By the way, uh, each of our after-school programs, whether it's baseball or dance or martial arts 
or soccer or baseball uh, is free to the kids and free to the community, free to the school. That is the purpose of the, of the foundation. Uh, our goal is to raise money to support uh, those programs so that they can be presented to the communities uh, free of charge. And if people want to find out more about what you do, could you direct them to a website? I know Jill is our executive director, but they can just go online and, and plug into all the programs and right. learn more about what you do. Right. The, the, the easiest way to do it uh, is to go to it's it's unfortunately it's a very long name, but it's uh, <laughs> but it's uh, it, it's it, it's the place to go. It's the DEA Educational Foundation dot org <laughs> website. DEA Educational Foundation dot org website mm -hmm. uh, will provide uh, the viewer or the researcher or anyone else who 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 goes to our website with information about our programs, about a hit, little bit about it, the history, about some of the fundraisers that we have conducted. So now if, if uh, for example, I live in Franklin, Tennessee, you don't have a program here. Is there a way for me, if I have an uh, interested school system, to plug into maybe online classes? Is that a possibility? Uh, the... the you know, I don't want to mislead you to to think that we can respond immediately to any location. Mm -hmm. uh, what you know, I, I was talking with our CEO and president uh, shortly a little while ago, Jill Roberts, who was in Los Angeles. And I was talking to her about a conversation I had with a police chief in Ohio, Alliance, Nebraska this morning because mm -hmm. he sent me an email because he inquired through our website about programming uh, that that he he thought was essential for his community. Uh, Alliance, Nebraska is kind of in the middle of nowhere. It's in northwestern Nebraska. Literally, I looked on Google Maps. It was I struggled to find it because it's so small mm -hmm. and it's and it's closer to Wyoming than it is to uh, Cheyenne, Wyoming, than it is, or Casper, Wyoming, than it is to Omaha, Nebraska. Omaha, so, right. So, um, in talking with the police chief, he said, if you were to Google the worst city to live in, we would be number one. He says, that, that, that kind of gives you an idea. He says, but we are inundated with fentanyl. And oh, we, ha word. we have as many fentanyl deaths, overdoses to fentanyl. To fentanyl uh, that we've had people die from the COVID epidemic, actually more, and it continues. And so we need to educate and we need to provide information to the kids so they, they make healthy choices. Mm -hmm. And so anything you can do uh, would be helpful. And I called Jill to talk to her about trying to help this police chief who has great vision and, and understands totally the needs for his community. And he's limited resource-wise because needs of the lot, lot, lack of funding. Uh, and, and, and Jill looked up Alliance when we were talking on Google Maps. And she says, you're right, it is in the middle of nowhere. She says, but they do have a, a baseball team at the high school. And maybe there's some things that we can do uh, 
with, uh, uh, with after school programming for them. She says, I will talk with DEA and we will see what we can do uh, in terms of being able to reach out and help them with something by providing them uh, not necessarily a full uh, option of programming, but at least something that, that can help get them started. So mm-hmm. I, I promised the chief, I says, I says, uh, you, you really have my interest and I I'm feeling, uh, com- very committed to mm-hmm. trying to help you do something. So that, that's, that's, that's the way we get things done uh, by mm-hmm. hook or by, by hook or by crook, mm-hmm. uh, Pam. Well, I, I have to tell you, it's been really eye-opening for me because, of course, what, what I know about the DEA is probably what most Americans know about the DEA is, is the crime crime shows and watching, uh, oh, the DEA broke up the Columbia drug cartel. And, and we talked about that a little bit. Um, but um, how did you get into this line of work and how did you stay in for 30 years and not be totally burned out and, you know, not just don't want to say anything. We don't want to talk about drugs anymore and just stay on the golf course. I mean, I'm just amazed that you continue to be passionate about this and give back and and try to help kids and try to help families. I mean, you're really quite a testament, I think, to you getting in the right job early on and then continuing this passion throughout your life. So tell us a little bit about how you got into DEA. What did you do before DEA? And maybe anyone else who's listening who might be interested in a drug enforcement agency as a career path. Yeah. Well, first of all, uh, the folks at DEA would be very, very insulted if I allowed you to keep calling it the Drug Enforcement Agency. It's the Drug Enforcement Administration. Uh, Oh, Drug Enforcement Administration. we We were given the name administration many years ago. Uh, and, uh, it's very, very common for people to, to misname it as the drug enforcement agency. So DEA is, uh, that's, that's why DEA as an acronym has become more and more popular. Uh, I, I first be, you know, you know, it was, it's kind of interesting. I started my career, uh, in the old federal bureau of narcotics as a, as a narcotic agent in the sixties. Right out of Indiana University, I majored in police administration, mm-hmm. and 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 when the United States was not suffering from any type of drug issue, drugs were only uh, seen in most of the major cities in the inner in the inner cities. I started my career in Cleveland, Ohio. The next year, I got transferred to Los Angeles, California, where I spent a considerable amount of time on the street in Los Angeles in the sixties and seventies. And then I got transferred to the Las Vegas, uh, resident office where I ran the office for three or four years until I moved to San Diego, California, where I ran enforcement in San Diego, California for four years. And then I got transferred to Washington, DC. Uh, I must say that initially I got involved, uh, prior to a major issue about drugs in this country for the excitement, I'll be honest with you. It was it, it was exciting. It was an exciting job. I was looking for something other than to be tied to a desk, mm-hmm. uh, as far as uh, something in my career was concerned. And uh, but I but over time, I fell in love with the mission and with the organization and with the people in the organization and and what what they do and what they try to do. 
from a law enforcement perspective, uh, DEA works on the biggest and the, and the worst global criminals from El Chapo all the way down to, to, to major street dealers in America, and they have an impact. And I was very fascinated by that, and I was attached to that. Over time, uh, it, it became obvious to me that we were never going to arrest our way out of this issue, that ultimately that it was going to take prevention education, uh, and, and we were going to have to reduce the demand for drugs if we were ever going to have an impact. Mm-hmm. So in the, in the, in the mid eighties, when I was in Washington, uh, headquarters running congressional public affairs, I had an administrator, Jack Lawn, who had great vision and understanding about the, the overall issue. And, and amongst us, we decided that we were going to get involved in prevention and education. That's when I first got involved was in the, uh, mid eighties in Washington, DC. And we designed several different programs uh, uh, of outreach, even though our primary mission, you got to remember that the Drug Enforcement Administration's primary mission is law enforcement. Its mm-hmm. secondary mission is, is, is community outreach, and, and that is to, to, to work with the community, to help the community uh, uh, maintain, uh, you know, sort of a whatever drug-free uh, presence they can, they can manage. So, uh, but, but again, the first primary mission of the agency is law enforcement and the bulk of the funding that DEA gets appropriated funds from the Congress goes to, uh, to the law enforcement mission as you would expect. And, and because it's a single mission agency, it's, it's the only organization, uh, that has the kind of global imprint that it has in order to get the job done. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's been very, very successful as a result though, uh, the prevention education mission of the organization is not very well funded. And that's why DEA came to me in 2001 and asked if I wouldn't be willing to start an organization that helped them complete their mission, particularly in the prevention education side. And, and, mm-hmm. and it's, the reason being is because uh, uh, the, the, with the, I've always said that the relationship between the DEA Educational Foundation and DEA is a classic public-private partnership. Partnership, sure. That, that has been, been, been very successful over time. The foundation has the capacity to raise money from the private sector the Drug Enforcement Administration provides in the partnership, provides resources and knowledge and information and, and some programming that assists us in our mission. So the, the missions are really complementary and, and uh, help, help uh, grow the, the capabilities of the organization uh, uh, and extend them far beyond the normal outreach. So it's been a very, very successful partnership with DEA. Mm-hmm. What do you think of in long years that you've been involved in drug enforcement? How do you understand the psyche of someone who gets hooked on drugs? Is it just starting as trying to uh, recreationally use drugs and then it, then it gets away from them and 
next thing you know, they're hooked or is it, are people well, self-medicating that they have issues medically and they're uh, trying to treat themselves that way? Or is it just a combination? It's, it's, it's all of the above. It's a combination. There are, it, it used to be, uh, used to be 20 years ago, 25 years, 30 years ago, when I was on the job, uh, it was a matter of uh, primarily uh, 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 kids experimenting because their friends experimented, and then they became addicted along the way. Uh, lately, it's been because of prescription drug abuse, uh, people trying to medicate themselves and being, being prescribed medications. Uh, so it's a combination of factors. And drugs are extremely dangerous and uh, must be dealt with very, very carefully as we found out the difficult way. And, and then what happens is then you have traffickers who are making huge amounts of money taking advantage of the situation uh, with, uh, with prescription drug abuse. What, what the traffickers have done is they've mimicked a lot of the uh, 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 availability of prescription drugs that are on the street today that are actually fentanyl rather than the prescription drug they pretend to be. Mm -hmm. And so, and so uh, the, there's always a trafficker, a trafficking organization that is willing to leverage uh, what's whatever the trend is on the street. So uh, it's a combination of availability and use is what it is. I will say I was married and part of what ended my marriage was my husband really had a severe marijuana problem and mm -hmm. it was really it really affected our our communication and and he became apathetic about life by and large i mean he was just sort of laid back all the time and that's hard to make a marriage work when you don't when you don't really have a lot of impetus to you know get involved with life you just you're sort of floating through you're not really um not really living you're just sort of floating now i right. know do it recreationally and I have friends that do it. I mean, I've never really, that's not been anything I've been interested in and they seem to be able to manage it just like there are people who can drink and manage it and there are people who can't. So, um, I, to me, it was never worth trying to buy something that was illegal. I just, I, I, to me, that wasn't worth it. <laughs> yeah. 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 What, what I, what I always used to say after I left DEA, I went to work for the DARE program for and I opened a government relations office in Washington, D.C. For, for, the, for, for the foundation that owned the D.A.R.E. program. And I used to do a lot of speaking at that time also. And I would always explain that if you take a fifth grade class of 10 students, and um, the only thing for certain we knew was that if they all tried drugs, that a third of them would become addicted. And the only way to prevent that from occurring was for none of them to begin with, you know, experimenting or trying drugs or, or whatever you want to call it. And that the only way to, 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 to maintain that was, was abstinence. And that, that, was, that was to protect the ones that had a predisposition toward addiction. Because mm -hmm. I, I happen to believe that there there is a predisposition of of, of genetic and maybe uh, a heredity a predisposition for addiction to sure. various to 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 alcohol 
and and to other drugs. And uh, the only some way people are actually like allergic to alcohol. They don't process it. Their bodies don't process it, and therefore they need to stay away from it. You right. Know? Right. Exactly. So. Um, <laughs> The only, the only way to, to prevent that from occurring to the general population is to is to abstain. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, you know uh, I, I, there's to me the, the difference between uh, and, and I don't drink, but the difference between drinking and uh, and smoking a joint is is in, in, in predisposition. And that is you're predisposed when you smoke a joint to get high and you don't necessarily have to be predisposed when you have a glass of wine with dinner to get high. <laughs> and it, it's all about, you know, attitude really. It's, it's about what, what, you, what, you, what your mindset is, unfortunately. Well, there's, there's getting high and there's getting drunk. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Different yeah exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So it's interesting. Oh. Um, I, I don't, I don't know if we need to go here, but I mean, we're having such a rash of gun violence and some of that is drug related, uh, gang related, et cetera. Do you have any thoughts about that or would you rather stay away from that? No, I, no, I, no, I have thoughts about that. I, I, I can remember when I was the head of congressional and public affairs, when the DEA administrator had to go on uh, and face the nation with Leslie Saul. And I can remember that we were told in advance that one of the questions that he would be asked was uh, his, his position on guns. And even though it was opposite of what the president uh, had, had, uh, had, had been promoting. And uh, I can remember uh, him being asked that question and I'll never forget his answer. He basically said that, hey, the president is my boss. He says, I don't always agree on everything that he says or promotes. And, it, and guns is one of the things that, 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 that I have a, a differing view on. And he, mm-hmm. he, he believed that, that guns, and, and most law enforcement, I believe, know that guns uh, uh, have to be restricted and have to be uh, controlled in order, uh, in order to reduce gun violence. But I mean, it's no different. It's, it's no different than driving a car. I don't, I don't think, I mean, we have to have a, we have to have a driving license to drive a car. Sure. I I don't understand why we can't have a reasonable registration for guns, uh, uh, and an educational program for gun owners, uh, if that's the case, I just, mm-hmm. I just, I just, I have never understood it because you can say what you want, but <laughs> if you remove the, the guns from the hands of a lot of the violent criminals, uh, you would have far less uh, mayhem in the streets in America. Well, and, and I think it's interesting. Are, are we patently as Americans more violent than the rest of the world? I don't think we're more violent necessarily or we're more mentally ill or we're more stressed or we're more uh, affected by games, you know, gaming shows that are violent or television shows or movies that are violent. I think the difference is we have more access to guns than other countries. That's the common denominator to me anyway. 
I absolutely agree with you. I think that's absolutely true. And I and I think that most police chiefs in, in, in America would agree with you. Yeah. I will attest to the fact that you are very lean and mean with regards to your organization. You don't have a lot of layers of bureaucracy. Yeah. And, and you are very effective. And it's sort of the best kept secret. That's my job is to let people know about what you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think I think it all I think it all derives from my upbringing in the old Federal Bureau of Narcotics and in the early days of DEA, when the agency has always okay. suffered from a lack of uh, appropriated funds, in my view, and we've never had enough money to do what we really needed to do, and we had to use our creativity and our 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 cunning oftentimes to to get accomplished what we wanted to get accomplished but i think in the long run it may have been the the correct strategy the right way to do things mm-hmm. so, i don't know well bill it is an honor bill alden is our guest today it's an honor to talk to you thank you for your patience we had some technological technological glitches earlier today but we're in great shape and Thank you again, and uh, thank you for listening to Applaudable Perspective. Stay tuned. Keep listening. God bless you.